Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to another episode of the X Factor Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Mondane. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter, known as X now. So be sure to check us out, like, share, and subscribe. The audio will be on all audio platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. Make sure you check me out every week. The x Factor Sports Podcast is here. Episode five, we got a great show for you guys tonight. Glad y'all can come in. We got some quick news. We got big news before we get into it. Let's start with the WNBA, of course, ladies first. Congratulations to Stewie, Brianna Stewart of the New York Liberty, winning her second MVP award of her career. Much deserved. Went home, got the number one seed in the East for the New York Liberty. She wins her second MVP. Asia Wilson for the Vegas Aces wins back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year awards. She is racking up all of the awards in her early young career. She's already got an NBA or WNBA title. She's got two MVPs or two Defensive Player of the Years. She also has a league MVP. Asia Wilson, shout out to her. Also making history, scored 30 points last night for the third straight time in the playoffs, making WNBA and Las Vegas Aces history. So shout out to her. For the playoffs, the Liberty tie up the series one to one in the Eastern Conference final and the Aces go up 2-0 in the West. Looks like it might be a collision course like we talked about a couple weeks ago with the Liberty and the Aces meeting up in the WNBA final. Now to baseball. We got some division winners already. It's about five, six games left in the regular season, but we already have some teams, four teams to be exact, who have already clinched their division. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves, clinching the NL East with 100 wins and counting. Again, they've been dominating all season long. Looks like it's their year to win it all or their year to lose. Either way you want to look at it, 100 wins. They dominated again this year, NL East champs. We got the Dodgers who won the National League West back-to-back for the first time since 2020 and 2021 season. They are back in the West winning that division. The Twins clinched the American League Central Division last night. So not sure what they'll be playing for tonight. They probably want to get their guys some rest, but they did clinch that division. They got a home playoff series coming up for them. And last night in the National League Central, the Brewers ended up shaking off the Cubs, the Reds, the Pirates, everybody that was tied up in that division in the National League Central to clinch theirs. So now we just got a couple more divisions to worry about to get clinched, the AL East and the American League West, I believe. The American League West has to get tied up with the Rangers and Astros and the Mariners. So we'll see what happens with them in the next few days. All right. Now, the news y'all all been waiting for, of course. We all got it probably at the same time today, but I'm here to bring it to you and give you the X Factor Sports point of view. Dame time. That's right. Dame Lillard is going to Milwaukee. A three-team trade. All summer we've been hearing about Dame Lillard wanting to go to Miami. That's the only team he wants to go to. He wants to play with Bam out of bio. He wants to get out of Portland. Well, didn't work out the way he wanted it to. But he ended up going to a championship contender. Nonetheless, 
the Milwaukee Bucks get Damian Lillard. Three-team trade. So what happened is Damian Lillard goes to Milwaukee in a trade for Drew Holiday, veteran NBA champ, all-defensive player, goes to Portland with DeAndre Aiden out of Phoenix. So Phoenix is actually the third team that gets mixed up in this trade. And DeAndre Aiden is out of Phoenix, goes to Portland. And the Phoenix Suns end up getting Grayson Allen. I'll just give you kind of the, the main guys. They get Grayson Allen. They get Yusef Nurkic, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson to the Suns. If you ask me who won the trade, I would say the Milwaukee Bucks won the trade. Just general principle when it comes to NBA trades, the team that gets the best player or the team that gets the superstar wins the trade. However, I think every team benefited from this trade. And I'll start with the Bucks. Giannis, we talked about in episode four. Giannis talked about he's not looking to resign if the organization is not looking to do something more for him. He can see himself leaving after his contract's up. They answer that question, get him another superstar. In the East, I think Damian Lillard takes a bunch of pressure off of Giannis. Giannis doesn't have to be the playmaker, the shot maker. He can go do the things that he's great at, defense, rebound, and can still get you 25 to 30 points. But when you need buckets late in games and in clutch moments, you got a guy like Damian Lillard, who's arguably one of the best shooters ever. So it's going to be great to see him in the Easter Conference. I hate that he's in the Bulls division because now we got to deal with him every for five, six games out of a year. But it's good to see him over in the Eastern Conference kind of balance the power out. So that's how Milwaukee, I feel like, is a winner in this three-team trade. For Portland, they get younger. They get Dame Lillard's contract off the books. They get to rebuild because they want to work with Scoot Henderson anyway. That's why they drafted him. He's the future. They Dame had his time there, nine, ten seasons, did what he can do. He's arguably the greatest Portland Trailblazer of all time. I would argue Clyde Drexler maybe, but that's a debate for another day. But they get to rebuild. Chauncey Billups gets to build a team around his guys, and they get a serviceable big in DeAndre Ayton. He can make some noise over there in, in Portland. He doesn't feel like he is stepping on toes or that he won't get his shine. He will be the premier big man on that team. As for Drew Holiday, I believe they will move Drew Holiday as a veteran. Chauncey Billups will do the right thing with his veteran guard and get him to a place where he's playing for a contender at the end of his career. I can see him going to Philly if they don't want James Harden. I can see him going to the Clippers. I can see him going to Miami. It may turn out that Drew Holiday might be the guy that actually ends up going to Miami and replacing a guy like Kyle Lowry, who is getting older, can't really defend like he used to, can't make shots. You insert a Drew Holiday, that'd be the perfect fit. He could fit the Miami Heat culture. So I think Drew Holiday would be a perfect fit there. I also think he'd be a perfect fit going back to Philly, where he was an all-star. For you youngins that don't remember Drew Holiday early in his career, he was an all-star guard in Philly. So going back there, he's familiar. He's got a superstar in Joel Embiid. He knows how to play with a superstar big because he played and won a championship with Giannis. And he knows how to play with other shooters around him because that's how the Bucs team was constructed. I think that would be a good move as well. So look to see Drew Holiday get moved. I don't think he stays in Portland. That's a young team looking to rebuild around Scoot Henderson and DeAndre Ayton. 
Now for the Suns. This looks like a minor adjustment for the Suns, but I think they actually did good as well. They wanted to get off of DeAndre Ayton over the last two, three years. He didn't get along with the coach. So they separated amicably, got in that three-team trade. They end up getting Yusef Nurkic, a big man that's low maintenance. If he can stay healthy, he can give them a double-double every night, can man the paint, can defend and rim protect so Kevin Durant doesn't have to. So I like that about that trade. They also sure up the bench. The talk was going to be all season about their bench and their scoring and who would come off the bench and shoot the ball. You get Grayson Allen off the bench. You also get Nasir Little off the bench as well. So after replacing other guards that were on the team as well. So what happens with Phoenix, the team will be centered around Book, KD, and Bradley Bill. Anyway, so we need to just fill in some pieces to get there. I think Yusef Nurkic is a great fit for them if he can stay healthy. So I think that all three teams did well in this trade, but I think the winner in this trade is Giannis. Giannis wanted the Bucks to make some sort of move for him. They go out and get the biggest superstar in free agency in Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard comes to the Eastern Conference. He'll see the game is totally different, a little more defensive defensive minded but they can they can find guys to put around Dame to play that defense that Drew Holiday did but they're not getting 30 points a game from Drew Holiday and when you can add that type of scoring punch to Giannis to Chris Middleton to the Lopez twins to Bobby Portis who's coming fresh off of USA basketball I think the Milwaukee Bucks if not the team of the east they definitely are one of the two with with Boston so I think that was a great move today. Took the NBA by storm. Everybody thought that Dame was going to Miami or even Toronto. We were hearing news about Toronto last night. And sure enough, the Milwaukee Bucks land Damian Lillard. So congrats to them. Last thing in the quick news, Travis Kelsey. Everybody's been hearing about it. I'll be real quick about this. From a business standpoint, it's great. Obviously, they took a... I think they've taken a play out of the Kardashian playbook. Two superstars, one singer. She'd probably make a new album out, out of this if it don't work out. But what it does for Travis Kelsey in the NFL, if you don't pay attention to business, you should. His jersey sales went up 400% after that beatdown of the Bears and everybody seeing Taylor Swift in the box with his mom. She's bringing over a whole nother group of fans to come to football to watch him. I think his name was Googled a million times after Sunday. People want to know who he was. So it's good for business. It's actually good for the NFL. Think about it this way. We talked about it in episode three. The NFL poured a lot into the storylines of Aaron Rodgers with hard knocks on HBO. It's in New York City. They played on 9-11 on Monday Night Football. It was a big deal. Aaron Rodgers goes down. There's no other big stories to gravitate more fans to the NFL. So when you get a superstar, arguably the best tight end ever, dating a superstar, like if they're dating, whatever, involved with a Taylor Swift and she brings that fan base over, that's huge for the NFL. So I think about it from a business standpoint. Don't care about their relationship one bit, but from an NFL entertainment standpoint, it's huge because, again, you bring in a huge fan base. It'd be like if Beyonce 
broke up with Jay-Z and start dating an NBA player. Like the fan base that beyond that beehive that she would bring over to the NBA would be huge. So you got to think of it like that. Again, 400% sales go up for a jersey out here in, in middle in the Midwest. Big news for me. That's how I think of it from sports. So before we get into the show, it's a great segue. We talked about NFL. We're going to segue into that. Has the NFL leaned too far into the offense? Here's why I think they have. When I was growing up, the NFL was about, I would say, 70%, 75% football and about 25 to 30% entertainment. You watched the games. You saw the guys with the big shoulder pads. You saw people getting hit. Like, they... they marketed the game as a tough, gritty game that only the toughest guys can play in it. Like you have to be a certain type of man to play in the NFL. That's That was their marketing strategy. The tough guys play in the NFL. The best guys, the strongest men, right? Fast forward to today, not saying that these guys aren't tough and strong. It has turned, it has leaned so far into offense and entertainment it's like WWE almost. Like, as kids, we knew WWE wasn't real. Like, we knew it wasn't real wrestling. Sorry if y'all still believe that. The two fairy ain't real either. So, we leaned all the way into that. I think the NFL is leaning way into entertainment, obviously, because of the marketing dollars, like I just alluded to with the whole Swift thing. And I think the only way that they can lean into that entertainment and earn the money they've earned over billions and billions of dollars is by favoring the offense. But I think they favor it too much. Quarterbacks can't get hit. All of the schemes are all predicated for the offense to move the ball. All the officiating is for the offense. The defense can't hit like they used to. DBs are not, or linebackers aren't as big as they used to be. They have to be faster, leaner, because they have to keep up with the offense. It's, it looks more like flag football than it did yesteryear when it was real hard-hitting football. The John Lynch's of the world, the Steve Atwater's of the world. You don't see those types of plays anymore. Even, I'll go back as recent as the Legion of Boom. Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman. Like, you don't see those guys. Bobby Wagner, you don't see those types of players anymore because the way the league has changed. You can't play like that. Yes, they want to be safer. It's a safer game, but it's still football. And so with them leaning into the offense so much, it it throws everything off, even from sports betting to watching the games. Yes, we want to see a lot of points, but we also want to see them compete too. I'll give you all some numbers. So in week three, there was 16 games played last week, right? Only three of them, only three of those games that played last week, for betting sake, were double-digit spreads. Only three of the games. Ten of the games that were played were double-digit wins. Hell, one team got beat by 50 points. Like a college football game. It was like week one of the NCAA college football. A team got beat by 50 points last week. 70 points were scored. Five of those teams out of that 16-game slate were 20-point lead or 20-point wins. So you're telling me in a league that is a one score league 
the parody is designed for the NFL to be a one score lead every week, right? 10 teams get beat by double digits. Five teams get beat by 20 points. You, you cannot tell me that there's not a very, very offensive slant in the NFL. I'm here for it, but at the same time, if you don't allow these players to play on both ends and then we get to the playoffs, people are wondering what a defense was all season long. Like, is it made up? Is it, are we, is it scripted? Like, yo, what is going on? Like these teams played all season long and couldn't stop a nosebleed. Now all of a sudden we get to the playoffs and they're really good at playing defense. Like what is really going on? So it's just weird to see the numbers reverse. I enjoy the entertainment value of it, but at the same time, teams getting blown out by 20 in the NFL. These are supposed to be the best of the best. I don't know if these NFL teams are that bad, but that's what we're running into. Can't touch the quarterback. Offensive line play. They get the hold every down. Just makes it tough for the defense to do their job. So you guys let me know. Like, share, subscribe. YouTube, Facebook, TikTok. Tell me what you think. Do you think the NFL has leaned too far into the offense? Let me know. Make sure you comment on the show. When we return, we will get into the first ever X-Factor Sports College Football Power Rankings. You don't want to miss this list. It's not like your other channels. It's not like your other list. You don't want to miss the top 10 Power Rankings of the NCAA football. This is the X-Factor Sports Podcast. We'll be right back. Yo, yo, welcome back to the X-Factor Sports Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. Be sure to like, share, subscribe on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. We are live every week, every Wednesday night. And also, you can catch the audio on all the audio platforms. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. We are going to talk about 
for the first time on the X Factor Sports Podcast, the college football power rankings. Yes. So this is not like your ESPNs, Fox Sports. It's not like any of those networks that give you their power rankings or give you their rankings. It's not the AP poll. It is not the coaches poll. This is has nothing to do with records. We are doing a power rankings based off the first month of college football. So here, I'm going to give you the top 10 list, and this is going to be based off of strength of schedule, who they played against, how they look right now, where they're at in a power index, why they are ranked the way they are. So I'm going to go ahead and reveal the top 10 power rankings in college football after the first month. At number 10, we have the Michigan Wolverines. The reason that Michigan is number 10, they are ranked 12th in the power index. They are number one in the country in defense, but they are like 70th in offense. They haven't played any strong teams yet. They've been beating up on everybody. I don't even know if they've had a road game yet or a true road game. Very easy schedule. And they only got a 4% chance to win out in their own conference. So schedule's kind of weak. I think they, obviously they get Ohio State. They don't have a very tough schedule at all. They Their only big games are Penn State and Ohio State. So don't be fooled by the record. They haven't played anybody yet. Jim Harbaugh has not been around. It was easy for him to miss the four games because they played some cupcakes. So I got him at number 10 in the power rankings. At number nine, we got Notre Dame. Notre Dame is 11th in the power index. Lost one game Saturday to Ohio State at home. It was a hard-fought game. Top 10 in scoring, 16th in defense. So they are a well-balanced team, one of the best teams in the country. That's why we got them in the power rankings. Has a good schedule down the road. They got USC. They play Duke this weekend, who's ranked 17th. And they go to Clemson, who's a tough team. They had a tough loss last week against Florida State, but always tough to go down to Death Valley and play Clemson. You, uh, Notre Dame usually plays a really good schedule because they're independent, so they can go out and pick who they want to play. They try to play some of the top teams in the country so they can get in the college football playoff. And I think that schedule playoff will play out and will pay off. So that's why I got them at number nine. Number eight, USC Trojans. They are ranked eighth in the power index, but I got them ranked eighth in the X-Factor Sports Power Rankings. No tough opponents yet. They do get a game this Saturday against Colorado. Two good quarterbacks get the face off. Shadir Sanders and Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner from last year. They come back. Great offense. They're number one in the country in scoring. Third in offense. Caleb Williams, like I said, Heisman Trophy winner, 2-0 already in conference play, so that gives them a head start in the toughest division in college football. As, as of last week, there were eight ranked teams in the Pac-12. USC was one of them. So you got to give them credit for that being in that conference and got two wins on it already. Second highest percentage to win their conference, and it's the toughest conference at 29%. So because of that, they go number eight in the power rankings. Number seven, we got the U, University of Miami, the Hurricanes. I got them number seven. Yes, if you look at a lot of the polls, they're ranked probably uh, above 15, 17th I've seen in some polls. I got them ranked number seventh, and here's why. 
15th in the power index, yes. But they got a big win against Texas A&M. And the ACC is a sneaky good conference. They might be the second best conference in college football after the Pac-12. You got Miami, Florida State, Duke, Carolina, Louisville, and Syracuse are all undefeated. And then NC State has one loss. All of those teams, if not ranked, should be ranked and can be ranked. So you got seven teams in that conference and only one team has a loss. So I believe that Miami, if not the best team in that conference, that Florida State is, but I think just based off of how they play, that they are a slight, they have a slight edge on Florida State for me. So I'm going to give it to them and put them at number seven in the power index. They're all over, they're all around great football team. They are eighth in scoring and 13th in defense. Again, top 15 in both in the country. So you got to show them love for that in the first month of football where nobody expected them to do anything. They're doing great. So shout out to the U, number seven. Number six in the power rankings, we got Texas. And we got them six. They're sixth in the index, power index, big road wins at Bama and Baylor in the conference game. More of a rivalry. So it's a big conference win for them. Defense tied with 13th with Miami. And they have a higher percentage chance to make in the college football playoff than Georgia, surprisingly enough. People wonder why I have them in the power rankings after the first month. They have a better chance of making it into the college football playoff percentage-wise than the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. So for that reason, I got them number six. At number five, we got the Washington Huskies, another Pac-12 team. This conference has been impressive all year long. They are ranked ninth in the power index. Michael Penix Jr., Heisman candidate. He throws the ball all over the yard, looking great. They're first in passing yards because of him and third in points. Underrated defense so far. They only give up 17 points per game. So you got to show love to that with the passing and the defense. Projected to win more games than USC. That's why I have them higher than USC right now. They are sneaky good, underrated team. So I got them number five in the power index. And number four, we got the Oregon Ducks, another Pac-12 team. We saw what they did to Colorado last week. That game was over by the end of the first quarter. Beat them up. I mean, I, people were leaving the stadium already. Colorado fans, at least. I'm sure all the Duck fans stayed overtime if they could. But big, huge win. Ranked seventh in the power index, but second in points and 17th in points against. So, again, a good offense, good defense. They score in bunches. Great recruiting class. They know what they're doing. Got a former Georgia Bulldog coach over there in Oregon. They score in bunches. Destroyed Colorado. They put up 81 points in their first game of the season. So coming straight out of spring football, they go out and put up 81 points. So this team is on a mission. They look good. They will get the run into... The good thing about the Pac-12 is you play everybody. So they will get to see Washington. They will have to see USC. And we'll see who wins out of that battle of those three teams. I can't wait to see that happening. Bo Nix. Bo Nix is probably 28 years old. I feel like this dude's been in college. As soon as I graduated, I feel like he was in college right after me. He's still there. But he is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Favorite to win. in the deeper, They're in the deepest conference in America. And Oregon is favored to win it. 
That's why I got them at number four in the power ranking. So far, so good. At number three, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they're ranked actually number one in the power index, but in the X-Factor Sports Power Rankings, I got them at number three. They got a huge win against Notre Dame, 17 to 14. Yes, they caught a break, but good teams are prepared for those opportunities to take advantage of those breaks and win those games. So they stay 4-0, stay undefeated. They have a great wide receiver, probably the best wide receiver to possibly come out since Devontae out of uh, Alabama. He won a Heisman Trophy. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a Heisman Trophy candidate, so he can win that. Number two scoring defense of the country, 60% chance to make it to the college football playoff. It is probably one of the highest percentages to get to the college football playoff out of the Big Ten. I don't think Michigan has anything for them this year. I like Ohio State in this first month. They are number three in the power rankings. At number two, as you can see, it's a surprise team. Everybody might be surprised by them, but if you've seen them play, you wouldn't be surprised after this first month. The Oklahoma Sooners, number two. They're number two in the power index. They are number two here in the power rankings. Light schedule, but dominated everybody that they played in front of. 50% chance to win the conference, which is the highest of any of these teams in the power rankings. That's why I put them at number two. All these teams are in good conferences. They're the best teams, arguably, in their conference. And OU has the best chance to win their conference outright, over 50% chance. So that's why we got them at number two. They have a legit opportunity to run the table and go undefeated they will have a big game against texas the red river rivalry but if they can win that game they have a legit opportunity to run the table in the big 12 and be a shoe-in for the college football playoff and at number one of course the georgia bulldogs out of the sec two-time defending national champs i'll just say this I don't need to say any more about them after I say this, but I will elaborate. Georgia Bulldogs have not lost a football game in 662 days. All right, let me say that again. 662 days since the last time this program has lost a football game. They lost in the national semifinal against Alabama December 4th, 2021. All right. They may not lose another game until December again. They may go two years without losing a game. So when you talk about a power ranking, the team that hasn't, it's players on that team that have not lost a college football game. Don't even know what it feels like. So for that reason, they are obviously number one. They are top 11 in both offense and defense. They dominate both sides of the ball. They could run the table until probably Halloween, I would say. Then they get a gauntlet of games if these teams can stay ranked. They play four ranked teams back-to-back-to-back-to-back starting October 28th. I think they got Tennessee. Excuse me. They get Tennessee. They get Mizzou. They get Ole Miss. Like They, they got to run through a gauntlet of ranked teams to try to three-peat and defend this national title. But as of right now, in the first month, they are – the number one team in the X-Factor Sports Power Rankings. As you can see on the screen, if you agree or disagree, this segment is for you guys. Like, share, subscribe. Let me know what you think. Tell me how you feel about the Power Rankings. Again, I don't care about rankings. I don't care about 
who they beat, where they played at. I'm talking about the strength of the team, what they do on both sides of the ball, and what they look like in the first month of the season. If you agree or disagree, you can go ahead and tap in. We always got the chat wide open, the X Factor Sports Podcast chat. When we come back, we will get into bet that. We got a five-leg parlay, multi-sport parlay. We dip into baseball and football when we come back on the X Factor Sports Podcast. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. Hope y'all enjoyed those power rankings. We will be doing the power rankings again when we get to season or episode nine. So we'll be two months into the college football season. We will definitely get into the power rankings and see where these teams are. I'll also be doing this next week for the NFL. When we get their first month out of the way, we will be doing a power rankings for the NFL. We will also be doing this for NBA, college basketball. We're going to continue. I want you guys to like, share, and subscribe. Let me know what you think about the power rankings. We can go back and forth on how you feel about them. I love to do that. But now, we into that favorite segment everybody loves. and We call it Bet That. All right? We got a five-leg parlay multi-game multi-league parlay we got some mlb and some nfl for bet that and for the first leg of the parlay we got a london game make sure y'all wake up to get this game they play at 8 30 central time a.m for y'all out there on the west coast whoo gotta get up early you want to catch this london game so the falcons are playing against jacksonville three and a half point favorites jacksonville i'm going to take jacksonville to cover the spread Jacksonville will cover because London is like another home for them. They've been playing there for 10 years. They are comfortable there. They're comfortable with the time change, the body, the body time, like everything that happens in London with Jacksonville. I feel like they are more comfortable and I think they're a better team than the Falcons are after getting stunned by the Texans at home last week. I feel like Jacksonville is, Hungry, prepared, ready to win this game. Get back in front, get back in winning ways so they can win the AFC South. So I'm going to go ahead and take Jacksonville to cover the spread here at three and a half. The next one, we got the Bills at Dolphins. This might have been a game everybody was waiting on, especially if you're an AFC East fan. 
or if you're one of the top team, you're a fan of a team that's in the AFC at the top. If you're a Chiefs fan, you're a Bengals fan, you're a Chargers fan, if you are a Ravens fan, like you're looking forward to this game because this game has playoff implications already in week four. The reason I say that these two teams are in the same division, the Bills have won this division three, four years in a row. The Dolphins look like they're the best team in football. They're going to Buffalo. And for that reason, I can't pick a winner. <laughs> I say all that because the over-under, actually, the over is 53 and a half. I'm taking the over on this game. The Dolphins average 40 points a game. The Bills average 30 points a game. No, I don't think they're going to get 70, but I think both teams can get 28. So I don't see a reason why not to go with the over high-powered offenses. Both teams give up big plays. I see some deep touchdowns for Tyreek Hill, for Stephon Diggs. If you got those wide receivers, Jalen Water will be back from concussion protocol. If you got those wide receivers in, in your fantasy league, you're about to get some big points. So go ahead and take the over on that. Dolphins and Bills, 53 and a half. I'm taking the over. Switching over to MLB, we're going to pivot. We got the Rangers and the Angels tonight. I'm going to take the Rangers in the money line for this one. Big game for the Texas Rangers. They've taken over sole possession of first place in the American League West. They want to hold on to it. The Angels don't have much to play for. I guess they can play spoiler. Mike Trout is out for the rest of the year. Otani's out for the rest of the year. I believe the Rangers will clinch the division if they get this win. There's only like five games left. And I believe that they are three and a half games up in first place. So if they get this one, I think it's a nail in the coffin. I think they take the money line. I think the Rangers win it. Rangers won four out of the last five games to surge in the first place. And another kind of sneaky good stat. The Rangers are 54 and 45 in night games, and they play tonight out west starting at 8 o'clock, 8.30. And the Angels are 44 and 62 in night games. So advantage goes to the Rangers for me. I'm going to take them straight up. Also in baseball, we got the Astros. We're going to stay in the American League West. Got the Astros and the Mariners playing in Seattle tonight. I'm going to take the Mariners with the money line. I think the Mariners win this game. They've played the Angels, or the Astros, excuse me. They played the Astros 12 times already this season and have won nine out of 12 games. So pretty dominant over them. Maybe it's a matchup thing, but I feel like the Mariners win this matchup tonight. Both teams on a bad slide and need a win, desperate for it. Mariners, again, nine and three in the last 12 against them. I think the Mariners, when they if they win this game, they move in the sole possession of second place. To get that playoff spot, they're trying to get a wild card spot just as much as the Astros are. So I'm taking the Mariners at home in the money line tonight to move into that two spot. They are a half game behind the Astros, and with the win, it'll put them a half game above them. So taking the Astros. And then lastly, we flip over to Monday Night Football, the last leg of the parlay. Seahawks versus the Giants on Monday night. I think Saquon Barkley will be back. He had enough rest. I think he had like a 10-day break, 11-day break. So they're saying that he is possible to return with a high ankle sprain. Nevertheless, I'm taking the over or the under on this one is 47. The reason I'm taking the under is this. Two of the worst defenses in the NFL. 
But Vegas always tricks. They always trick the hell out of me. I don't know if they trick y'all, but they trick me a lot. So <laughs> I can admit it. But the reason I'm taking the under is because because they are two of the worst defense in the league. So Vegas is trying to pull you in with this over under. I'm taking the under on 47. I believe these two defenses will actually play better against each other. I don't think the Giants can score enough points. Seattle maybe, but traveling, going from east, from west to east in a primetime game, Geno Smith, we'll have to see what they can do. Not saying that they can't win the game, but I'm taking the under just because this feels like a setup. I don't like being set up. So I'm going to take the under on this one, and I'm going to go 47 below 47 for that Monday night game. So to sum up our bet that five-leg parlay, I'm taking – the Jaguars are going to cover the three and a half. I'm going to take the over on Dolphins Bills, 53 and a half. Rangers win straight up against the Angels. And then we got the Mariners winning straight up against the Astros tonight. And I will take the under 47 on Monday night football. Be sure to make sure you log in wherever you are betting. This is not a betting or we are not bookies. You bet at your own risk. That's the disclaimer, but I enjoy betting, so I like telling people how I like to get down with the bets. So log in to wherever you do. Have some fun with it. Do your fan duel, whatever it is, your DraftKings, any of those betting sites. Just be sure to check us out if you need some tips or if you got any questions. Make sure you tap into the X Factor Sports Podcast. When we come back, we're going to get into what we learned from week three in the NFL last week. This is Jay Mondane with the X Factor Sports Podcast. Yo, yo, welcome back to the X Factor Sports Podcast. It is your host, Jay Mondane, Season 2, Episode 5. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, of course, and Twitter X. All right, let's get into what we learned from Week 3. I talked about it in the monologue. Looks like the NFL is leaning very heavy on offense. But I want to talk specifically about some teams, what we learned about them. First things first, the Chicago Bears are bad. All right? That's what we learned after week three. They are a bad football team. I went to the game, repped my team, of course. I'm always repping my team. They will always be my team. But I can also be very objective. They are a bad football team. I know what I see. If you have two eyes, you see it too. All right? Just to put some context on that instead of just saying they're bad. The Bears have lost 13 straight games dating back to last season. 
Justin Fields has lost 11 games as a starter, 13 straight. If that ain't a bad football team, I don't know what to tell you. Like we're on pace combining two seasons to do what the Giants or do what the Lions did. It's 0-16. The Browns did it before a few years ago. And we look really bad. Okay. Justin Fields has regressed as a quarterback. Yes, he can run. He's dynamic. They are not moving the, they are not moving the pocket for him. He's not able to throw the ball with any type of accuracy. He gets into trouble a lot. He holds on to the ball a lot. I don't know if he's overthinking or if he just doesn't give a damn, but the Bears are bad, okay? Defensive coordinator's already gone. There's some alleged stuff. You can read about what they're saying, why he left, but he's already gone after three games. And the defense has one sack this season. The entire defense only has one sack in three games. So not only is the offense bad, the defense is terrible. And the Bears are supposed to be known for defense. And we have a defensive head coach. Matt Eberflus came from Indianapolis as a defensive coordinator. You would think if you're a defensive co if you're a coordinator, a former coordinator, and you get a head coaching job, your number one priority is to fix the side of the ball that you're good at. Okay? Everybody else has done that when they've gotten a job. Sean McVay, offensive guy, goes to the Rams, fixes the offense right away. Kyle Shanahan, offensive guy, goes to San Francisco, fixes the offense. Andy Reid goes to the Chiefs, fixes the offense right away. Mike McDaniel, offensive guy from San Francisco, goes to the Dolphins. They put up 70 points a game. Tua looks like an MVP candidate. Sean McDermott, defensive guy, goes to the Bills, fixes the defense like that. So I don't understand why when we got Matt Eberflus, a defensive guy comes to the Bears and the defense is worse. They're a bad football team. That's what I learned. That's what we all learned if we watched it. If we used both our eyes last, if you got one eye, you saw that they, with that one good eye, you saw that they were a bad football team. Now the team that they're playing against, on Sunday, the Denver Broncos. I'll tell you what we learned about the Denver Broncos. They do not respect Russell Wilson at all. How do I know that? Okay. If you played in a team sport before, if your best player, if you play professional sports before, your highest paid player, your biggest commodity, if their team is losing by 50 points in the fourth quarter of a ball game, why the hell would you keep him in the game? I don't know if Sean Payton is trying to send a message. I don't know if he's just trying to get Russell Wilson hurt. I don't know what he's trying to do. But to have a player on another team say, Russ has no business in this game, man. He should have been, he should have been subbed out a long time ago. In a 50-point blowout, why is your $260 million quarterback still playing? With the backups, nonetheless. Like, he's in there with the number twos, like it's preseason. The game is over. Why is he still playing? What can he show you in this game down 50 points? Now, I'm not saying that this game was Russell's fault. A 50-point game is everybody's fault. Damn, the ball boy got some, got some blame to take in a 50-point game. Okay? But the disrespect. For a Super Bowl champ, an all-pro, Pro Bowl, probably Hall of Fame player, 
$260 million guy, franchise quarterback, to be playing in that game is ridiculous. Like, not even Justin Fields would have played in that game, and he needs to play every day. He should be playing right now. Even he would have sat down in a 50-point blowout. So the fact that they have him in the game is disrespectful to me. On the flip side, last year, he wanted his own parking spot. He wanted his assistance. He was presidential Russ, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, all that. And in the locker room, that doesn't play well. You know, you only you only get one time to make a good first impression. And the, the impression he put on the team was that he was above everybody else. And when you do that, you already can, you your, your salary tells you if you're above everybody already, right? Everybody knows who the guy is in Kansas City. Everybody knows who the guy is in Cincinnati. Everybody knows who the guy is in Baltimore. Everybody knows who the guy is in Jacksonville. Everybody knows who the guy is in LA with the Chargers. Your salary dictates who the guy is, right? So why, knowing that as an NFL veteran, why do you want this front office stuff that no other player has, parking spots, assistance, your own your own team? It's ridiculous. So maybe that has something to do with it. But at the same time, there is a power dynamic there that I've learned looks really bad. And the only way to cure it is winning. And they haven't won a lot. Okay, Russ has only won four games since he's been there. Hopefully it stays at four and they don't beat the Bears this weekend. But nonetheless, we can talk about what we will learn after that game. Somebody's job is on the line in week four in that game. That is the battle of jobs. Justin Fields is probably paying, playing for his career. He's playing for his football life. And I don't think that's overstated. Think about it. If he loses this game, if the Bears lose this game and Justin Fields does not play well, the franchise has lost 14 straight games and he's lost 12 straight. And he has not shown that he's gotten better at all. The GM did not draft him. The coach did not draft him. He's not their guy. If you know anything about football, these GMs and these coaches are loyal to the people they draft. And Justin Fields was not their draft pick. They told you that in the offseason. When they traded their number one pick, they said, we can give you a chance because you're cheap. But we want to swap with Carolina because we don't believe Carolina will be great. And if we're not great, we will have two top 10 picks next year when arguably the greatest quarterback draft since John Elway, Jim Kelly, and Dan Marino is coming in 2024. So we will give you a shot. But if you fail, we have somebody to replace you in college right now. So he is playing for his football life. Russell Wilson is playing for his football legacy. Everybody knows the story about Belichick and Tom Brady, how they won together. And when they separated, everybody said, oh man, who was it really? Was it Belichick or Brady? Brady immediately won a Super Bowl and answered that question. And Belichick ain't been in the playoffs. 
So I think we got our answer very quick who it was. With this Russ situation, we're about to find out real quick. Was it Russ or was it Pete Carroll? Last year, they made the playoffs with Geno Smith, who was outcast by the league and resurged under Pete Carroll. And Russ looked, looked like the worst quarterback in football last year. So there are huge storylines going into a game that I never thought we would talk about. Two 0-3 teams, the implications of these games. Two quarterbacks that are literally fighting for legacy in their football career. That's what I learned from last week after those two losses. This team lost by 50 points. Professional football players. And they left them in the game. The respect, I don't see anymore. So what else did we learn this week? The Miami Dolphins are playing for more. What I mean by that is, yes, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win the Super Bowl, so on and so forth. But I think the Dolphins are playing for much more. They are playing for Tua Tungavailoa. The leadership that he shows, he is a silent, lead-by-example guy. He's not your rah-rah guy. He probably is not the one in the middle of the huddle, head-butting everybody. But he leads by example. He's professional. He comes to work every day. No matter what criticism he has about him, he comes to work. And a lot of his teammates, maybe all of them, rally behind that. Players are saying that they take it personal to protect Tua. Not to just protect Tua from getting hurt. They don't want Tua to get touched. When you got a football team like that, an offensive line, a unit like that, that cares about their quarterback, they don't want Tua to get touched at all. They are playing for something much bigger than winning football games. If they are a tight group like that, the best teams are the tightest teams. I've been on some teams that were not that tight, and I've been on some great teams that I still talk to some of those dudes today, and we can reminisce on how good we were. This team is playing for more than just winning football games. They care about this quarterback, and you can see it on the field. That dude, Jersey, still smell like bounty. It still smell like downy when he lead the field. He don't get touched at all. Not a grass stain on him. They believe with him being healthy that they can win it all. That's how much they care, and that's how much they believe in Tua. That defense will get better. It has not peaked yet. Vic Fangio, I know him well. He was the Bears defensive coordinator the last time we won the division in 2018. Vic Fangio was our defensive coordinator. We had one of the best defenses in football. That was the year we got the Bears got Khalil Mack, all those guys. And then he ended up getting a coaching job in Denver. He actually did better in Denver than Sean Payton, but, you know, it's neither here nor there. But Vic Fangio, he's going to get that defense cranking. It took the Bears to about week four or five when they were firing on all cylinders, flying at everything, leading the league in sacks, pressures. So I think with Bradley Chubb over there, they can get that going. And all their cold weather games are early, quote unquote, cold weather. This weekend, they go to Buffalo. They play in Buffalo in October. Ain't going to be cold. Next time they play Buffalo, Buffalo got to come to Miami. They go to Baltimore and they go to the Jets. I mean, I think they can beat the Jets in a blizzard. I don't think that matters. And then they go to Baltimore, think they can play Baltimore, but I don't think the weather's that bad. I think they get Baltimore in October. Maryland, you get hit or miss weather. All the other tough games are on neutral sites or at home. They get the Chiefs in, in Germany. They get 
The Patriots, they already went up to New England and played, so they ain't got to go up to Foxborough in cold weather. Buffalo has to come down to them. So if they are playing for more with Tua, and they're also playing for home field advantage throughout, think about it this way. The NFL playoffs start in December, right? Around Christmas time or right around New Year. If all their games are in Florida, December, January, and they got the one seed, they good. And then the Super Bowl is in Vegas. They can literally wear shorts the whole playoffs. <laughs> shorts and cut off sleeves and just and fly to Vegas. I'm not saying that they're going to win and get to the Super Bowl. What I'm saying is pay attention. And this is what I learned watching these games. They are playing for some much more. They are looking ahead at where they could be in December and where they want to play in December if they can keep to a clean. I don't think they've even peaked. That's the scary part. They scored 70 points last week, and I don't even think we've seen their best football. Jalen Waddle didn't even play. They just discovered they got a running back that can play really damn good. They threw for 350 yards and ran for 350 yards. Scary. So I think this thing's just getting started. Maybe some teams will figure them out a little bit. But when it comes to offense like this, it's hard to figure out during the season because you got week to week. This is more of an off-season defensive coordinator watch film and make the adjustments next year. So Dolphins look good, man. I think they're playing for much more. Another thing we learned was the Chargers are trying to find ways to lose games. <laughs> I mean, they didn't want to win that game against Minnesota. If y'all watch that game, Brandon Staley, another defensive guy who has not figured out his side of the ball. He was a defensive coordinator for one year with the Rams and got a coaching job. Y'all tell me how he did that, but neither here nor there. People that bump into Sean McVay get jobs, I guess. So he's got a Chargers job, and every year we're talking about what the hell is he calling for these plays. And he had another what-the-hell moment on Sunday. Fourth quarter, there are four points. Fourth down on their own 28-yard line. Fourth and one. Instead of punting the ball away with the lead and, and giving the Vikings a short field, putting that defense back on the field, they go for it. Not only do they go for it, they go for it and they don't get it. Not only do they go for it and they don't get it, they go for it and they don't get it with a backup running back because Austin Eckler is out. Where the hell do they do that at? <laughs> he how does that make sense why would you why would you one do a running play when you have arguably the best arm in football in Justin Herbert and arguably one of the best receivers in football in Keenan Allen Keenan Allen threw a touchdown in this game to Mike Williams of all the things you can do with your superstars, everybody knows football 101. If you need a first down, you go to your superstars. The backup running back, you're expecting the backup running back to come in and get this first down. Of course he didn't get it because Brandon Staley called the play. Didn't get the first down. Turnover of downs. Luckily for him, he was playing against the Vikings and they couldn't get the fourth. They couldn't convert. And the Chargers escape with a victory. But again, what I learned last week is the Chargers are trying to lose games. I feel bad for Justin Herbert. 
and Keenan Allen. Justin Herbert just signed this huge contract, so he's tied to the team for years. I think Keenan Allen just re-signed. Austin Eckler, if he hasn't made a case that he needs his money as a running back, I don't know what case he made or did not make. The backup running back can't get you one yard. Mike Williams just tore his ACL. Get well soon, Mike Williams. Hate hearing that. But now you need Austin Eckler back. If y'all want to make any type of run, because your coach is trying to lose games. Your coach is trying to sabotage the season. You need your best players on the field. Justin Herbert is going to have to win in spite of Brandon Staley is what I learned from week three. This is like Andrew Luck and the Indianapolis Colts. Andrew Luck had to win in spite of bad football in Indianapolis. He got them to an AFC title game, and they didn't want to play. <laughs> he dragged them to the AFC title game. And I see a very eerily similar setup here with Justin Herbert. That's what I learned with the Chargers. And lastly, what I learned from week three, the Cowboys are cowboy. <laughs> Believe it or not, who would have thought? Like clockwork. The Cowboys win a couple games in September. We them boys. We them boys. Jerry Jones talking about take a bow. Michael Parsons got a podcast talking about we hunting quarterbacks. We doing this. We doing that. Y'all better look out. It's a Super Bowl run after winning two games in September. A, a damn leaf ain't fell off my tree yet. And they talking about Super Bowl. And sure enough, like clockwork, a terrible team beat them. The defense got scored on three out of four straight drives by Joshua Dobbs, a nuclear physicist, by the way. He plays football part-time. He's a part-time, I saw him on Indeed. He's a part-time NFL quarterback. And in his full-time, he's trying to work for NASA. That's the quarterback that beat that defense. Doomsday defense that they like to call themselves. We're going to be the 85 Bears, yada, yada, yada. Cowboys are cowboying, of course. That's what I saw. Again, Jerry Jones praising these praising these dudes after two wins. Yes, they beat the Giants 40 nothing. Yes, they beat the Jets with Zach Wilson. And then they threw a parade. They always got the confetti thrown, ready to throw out in Dallas. And then this happens all the time. It's been happening for 25, 26 years. Relax. It's only week three. It's September. Just play football and let the chips fall where they may. Go week to week and win some games, man. All right? Every year they start with the Super Bowl parade in September. So they can't just go out and play. They have to talk. Their fans are a symbol of them, a remnant of them. They win one game. You're going to hear it if they win this week, if they beat New England, which I eh, eh, I should have had that on bet that. I don't know if they're going to beat them, but, you know, Zeke Elliott might want some revenge. <clears throat> but, yeah, Cowboys have been cowboying. So that's what we learned, man. We got bad football teams. We got disrespected quarterbacks. We got coaches that are trying to lose games. Cowboys, cowboying. And hopefully we can get this thing turned around. Hopefully with the Bears. But seriously, this team, this game, I've never heard of a more pivotal 0-3, a more pivotal game with two 0-3 teams in my life than this game on Sunday. 
the Chicago Bears, and the Denver Broncos. I've never heard of a more pivotal 0-3 game. One quarterback is playing for his football life. The other one is playing for his football legacy. You guys decide. Let me know who you think is going to win that game. Bears, Broncos. When we come back, we will get into the two-minute warning. You don't want to miss. It's going to be a great one. This is the X-Factor Sports Podcast. Yo, yo, welcome back to the X-Factor Sports Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. Thank you guys for tuning in to this show. It's been a fun one. I've been enjoying myself. Hopefully you guys have been too. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. And it will be on all the audio as well. For those of you who can't see me, you can hear me. So check us out. Before we get out of here, obviously we do our two-minute warning. What does success look like to you? What I was thinking about today. Success is a relative term. I believe success looks different to everybody. That's why I say it's relative. My success may look different than yours. What what you see me as or what I see you as may be different in terms of the definition of success, but it looks different to everybody is my point. It can be family, money, good job, nice house, relationship, success, all of those things, whatever, again, whatever you feel like success is, you'll never be successful if you don't know what success looks like to you is the point. So that's what you want to make sure you have in your life. Your success is not predicated on what others have in store for you either, right? What somebody may see over here that thinks is successful At home, you may not feel successful. Maybe your relationship isn't working out, but you're doing great at work. Maybe you don't make as much money as you'd hope to make, but your kids love you. You're at all their sporting events. You're you're a devoted father, a great husband. So success can come in all different forms. You just have to decide what your success is. So I have an acronym for you guys for success. See your goal. Understand the obstacles, create a positive mental picture, clear your mind and self-doubt. Have to do that. Embrace challenges, stay on track, and show the world you can do it. If you can do those things, 
it doesn't matter in what realm of life that you put together. If you remember that acronym, that's how you can define success for yourself. I thank you guys for tuning in today to the X Factor Sports Podcast. You don't want to miss next week, episode six. We got WNBA finals will probably be around the corner. We got predictions of that. Thank God the NBA is back. Training camp will be here next week. We got storylines for that. Ben Simmons might actually play basketball next year or this season. Eh, We'll see about that. We'll talk about that next week. MLB playoffs are around the corner as well. We'll talk about all the teams that clinch and the matchups in the MLB playoffs. And we also will talk, we will get back to our week five X Factors in the NFL. This is Jay Mondane signing off from the X Factor Sports Podcast. Peace.